Now God's word is in find it in Isaiah chapter 30, beginning to read in verse 18. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. The Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For people shall dwell in Zion and in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher, and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way. Walk in it when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. And you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things. You will say to them, be gone. Thus far, the reading of God's holy and an errant word may he add a blessing as we study it together. In the 15th chapter of Luke's Gospel, Jesus tells three of his most famous Actually, he tells one parable in three different pictures, because the message of each of those parables is the same. In the first picture, a shepherd goes searching for a single sheep who's been lost from the flock. In the second picture, a woman sweeps her house, diligently looking for a valuable coin that's been lost somewhere between the cracks in the shadows. And in the third picture, a wandering son returns to his senses. Travels back to where he started, back to the home of the father that he had left. And if perchance you had never read those parables before, one of the major tension points would show up for you as you're reading that story at the point at which the young man decides to return home. There is in that homeward journey an underlying anxiety. What happens when I get there? Will I be rejected or will I be received? Will my father throw me out or will he welcome me in? Does he even care that I've been gone? When our children were younger, we used to read to them from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And in her winsome retelling of that story, Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. She writes that as the boy starts for home, he begins to worry. Dad won't love me anymore, he thinks. I've been too bad. He won't want me for his son. We practice this I'm sorry speech. And the underlying question about whether God will welcome sinners is exactly why Jesus told this parable in three separate vignettes. He gave us these three pictures, two stories of seeking and one story of returning so that we would know that when God's children come to him, it's really him who's been looking for them all along. He's the seeker. In fact, the situation that prompted this teaching in the first place, you remember, was the grumbling of the scribes and the Pharisees because all of the sinners and the tax collectors were gathering around to Jesus. In Luke 15, 2, they said, this man receives sinners, and eats with them. And Jesus told these parables as if to say, that's right. That is exactly the kind of people I have been searching for. 
Isaiah chapter 30 gives us another answer to that same spiritual anxiety. It may be that there are some here today who are on the borderlands of Christianity. Not quite believing yet, but, but intrigued. Straddling somewhere the fence between faith and doubt. It may be that there are others who believed long ago. You've trusted in Christ and you've come home, but you've found that faith is much more difficult than you thought it would be. You find that even though your home is with the Father, very often your heart is still longing for some of the things of that distant country. It may be that there are others who are simply tired, simply struggling to see God's goodness in the land of the living. And it is the same hesitation that hinders each of them. Will the Lord be gracious? Can he be trusted? Will he really supply all that I need? Is God even paying attention? message of Isaiah chapter 30 is that those who find the Lord find that he has been looking for them. The message is that God delights in displaying his grace when we turn to him. The message is that the Lord is always ready to show mercy to sinners. Today our sermon has one point, and that's it. That the Lord is always ready to show mercy to and you notice in verse 18 just how bold the prophet is. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. The prophet is bold because he takes that word that often refers to humanity and our frailty and our finitude. And he applies it to the Lord Almighty in power, in perfection. The Lord waits, he says. That's a human word. It's a creaturely concept. The end of the verse uses that word in the way that we're, uh, we we're used to seeing it in the Old Testament. We are weak, but he is strong, so we must wait on him. Waiting, in many ways, is an Old Testament equivalent to the New Testament idea of trust, of belief. Of course, trust and belief is an Old Testament idea as well. The Old Testament uses waiting very often when pushing us to believe. Waiting is how we live in that pregnant time before God's promises come to completion. Waiting is a limitation for humanity. We have to wait. And often while we're waiting, we feel helpless. Your child is sick. And so you've taken them to the doctor. You've filled the prescription. You've measured out the dosage, you've raised it to their lips, you've seen that they have taken it, but the fever won't come down, so what do you do? You wait. There's nothing else to do. Maddeningly, frustratingly, you're limited, you can't do anything else. Waiting is a human limitation word. Yet the Lord waits to be gracious to you, says Isaiah. And along comes some persnickety person, and they want to take issue with that. And they want to tell Isaiah, you know, Isaiah, that's not very good metaphysics. You can't say that the Lord waits. You can't say that Yahweh waits, not the self-existent one. 
He created time and space. He's outside of it. He controls it as he sees fit. He's not bound by time. Every past and every future is an eternal now in the boundless, limitless mind of God. God says to the Son, today I have begotten you. And when we ask when that is, we find that it's the eternal today. The today before time was today. God is not in time and space. He's not moved along as we are from one item to the next, from one time to the next. And so we might agree with that persnickety person. Might even be that persnickety person. And I imagine that Isaiah would agree with them as well. But if we came to the prophet with a complaint about his language, I think Isaiah would probably tell us, you know, I wasn't really making a metaphysical point. I was making a personal point. The Lord does wait. But he doesn't wait because he has to. The Lord waits because he's with you. The Lord is not bound by time and space. You are. And your life moves from one second to the next, from one breath into another. And your pain and your heartaches and your problems and your sins and your doubts and your afflictions come one after another too. Sometimes they come too fast, faster than you want them to. Sometimes they stick around longer than you would like them to. And the Lord wants you to know that while you're waiting through those things, He's waiting with you. So yes, the Lord who sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, says Isaiah, the God whose years have no end, who's always the same, yesterday, today, and forever, that God allows himself to be spoken of as waiting. Waiting to be gracious to his people. But we want to know, <laughs> what does that look like? What does that mean? What does it mean for the Lord to wait to be gracious? How exactly does he wait? Not surprisingly, the commentators who commentate on Isaiah have a variety of opinions. And as I've read this week, I've read some who say on the one hand that this waiting represents an aspect of God's eagerness. Eagerness that the Lord waits in the sense that he looks forward to the joy of extending mercy to his children. He waits, he longs for it, he looks forward to it, he's eager. Others said, no, 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 this waiting is an aspect of God's patience. Long and knows, says the scripture. He's long-suffering, not easily angered, and so he waits when he could otherwise simply wipe us out. Some said he waits because he's eager, some said he waits because he's patient. We actually apply that, that same concept to, to both of those in our lives. We have some English friends that we're willing, we're going to see this week, and they have a phrase, when something exciting is around the corner, they say, we're waiting with bells on. I don't know what it means, but it means they're eager, right? When we're eager, when, when something exciting is happening, we say, oh, I can't wait, even though we know that there's nothing else we can do. When you show up at the restaurant and the hostess tells you it's going to be 15 minutes until you get to the table, you go, that's fine. I can wait. I'm patient. This steak is awesome. I can't wait for this. You're eager, you're patient. It's a both of us. We take that concept and we apply it both to eagerness and to patience in our lives. In the case of Isaiah 30, I think both apply. The Lord waits because he is eager to give grace to his people. So if you have the NIV, you see that it wisely translates that first line, that the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He looks 
forward to it. Something he anticipates with joy, with a glad heart. The Lord says he exalts himself to show mercy to you. Again, in human language, we might say that he prides himself on this aspect of his character. The Lord loves to be known. Among the nations is a God who is compassionate and forgiving and tender-hearted toward his people. God waits in the sense that he's eager. And this is a picture of the Lord that every person in this church can understand. Children, do you ever wonder what God is like? Do you ever have something that you want to pray to Him? Do you ever have a problem that you want Him to help you with? Do you ever wonder if you can go to Him when you're hurting or when you're sad? Do you ever wonder if He'll have time for you or maybe He'll be too busy like grown-ups often are? God says He waits to be gracious to you. He's eager to do it. God waits the same way that you wait for Christmas. The same way that you wait for your birthday. God waits the same way that you wait to go swimming when it's 97 degrees outside. God is eager. That's what he's like. He waits to be gracious to you. There are those times when your friends are coming for a visit. And you're so excited that you can't stop checking the driveway and looking out the window. And when they finally pull in, you're the first one out the door. You have to see them. You have to greet them. Verse 19 says that he will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. That's what God is like. He's eager to be gracious to you. Back to the children's storybook version of Luke 15. Sally Lloyd-Jones writes, When the boy comes home worrying, practicing his speech, she says, all the time what he doesn't know is that day after day his dad has been standing on the porch, straining his eyes, looking into the distance, waiting for his son to come home. He just can't stop loving him. He longs for the sound of the boy's voice. He can't be happy until he has him. And that's what Jesus told us in Luke 15, 20. He said, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. This is the God who's speaking in Isaiah. He longs to be good to you. He is eager to answer you. The Lord is always ready to show mercy to sinners. But how do you know the Lord is eager? know that he's eager because he's the one who took the first step. He is the great initiator of graciousness in your life. You know the Lord waits through your time and your space, through your sin and your doubt, because Romans chapter 5, verse 6, tells us that Christ died for the ungodly. But when did he do it? At the right time, Paul says. That is, while we're still weak. You know that he's eager because Romans 5.8 goes on to say that God shows his love for us by beating us to the punch. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Lord waits to be gracious to you. He waits with eagerness. He also waits with patience. Here we have to pay attention to the larger context in Isaiah. Isaiah 30 is part of
prophetic messages where the Lord is calling his people to repent of the sin of not putting their trust in him. Israel at the time is facing a military threat. The Assyrians are breathing down their neck. The Lord has promised that he's going to deliver them, but they have to trust in him, and they have to wait for his timing. They have to wait upon the Lord. We already know how waiting feels helpless. And so as the threat of, of military defeat looms larger, the people of God get anxious. They decide they're going to take matters into their own hands. They're going to handle national security by making alliances with the unbelieving nations around them, something the Lord had explicitly told them not to do. Take a look back at Isaiah 30, verses 1 and 2. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord. Carry out a plan, but not mine, to make an alliance out of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction. They take refuge and protection of Pharaoh, seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. God's people are anxious. They are unwilling to wait for the Lord. And so he warns them, and so he calls them, and so he invites them back. Over and over, Isaiah 30, verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. Why were they unwilling? Because they thought they needed something faster than God's promises. Keep reading verse 15. You were unwilling. You said, no, we will flee upon horses. No, we will ride upon swift steeds. We need something quicker, Lord. We need it now. We don't have time to wait for you. We know that God has told us to trust Him, but we need something better. We need the kind of protection and strength and speed that only we can find for ourselves, they're saying. The only verse that's left, verse 17 and the rest of 16, tells us what a disaster that proves to be. All of which brings us to the therefore that begins, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits. In other words, the Lord waits because. The Lord waits because his people have not been waiting. The Lord is patient because his people have been impatient. They're busy pursuing other providers that will only show themselves to be empty. They are amassing for themselves earthly pleasures and false saviors, and God is waiting for their pleasures to evaporate and their saviors to show themselves empty. And very often, this is just what the Lord does with his people. Very often, he waits. He waits for us to come to the place where we realize how lost we are apart from him. And he does it not because he has to, not because there's no other way. He does it not because he just likes to watch us twist and squirm. The Lord waits patiently through our struggling because his waiting produces something in us that we can't produce in ourselves. We need this perspective on God's waiting. It helps us to understand the tension between God's promises and our lived experience. Verse 19, we read it. God says that he will answer as soon as he hears your call. It's true. God's word can be trusted. He's eager. He's Johnny on the spot. When we pray to him, he's there. He's 
Already got an answer later in Isaiah. It says, yet while they are praying, the answer is coming. He beats us there. He's eager. And yet there's nobody who's been a Christian for more than five minutes who hasn't had to wrestle with the reality of the cries to the Lord that seem to go unanswered. We want to know. Why is God waiting so long to be merciful? We cry out again. We cry out with the psalmist. How long, O Lord? Will this be forever? We need to know that the Lord doesn't wait the way that he waits. Much of our waiting is mere idleness. Much of our waiting is, is merely an exercise in staying occupied. You go to the dentist there before your appointment, so they put you in that little room. They know as well as you know that the last thing you want to have on your mind is what's going to happen once they start drilling. They give you distractions. They give you diversions. Over in that corner, there's a television. Over in that corner, there's a magazine, and they've got some toys for the children. They give you the Wi-Fi passwords so you can watch a few TikToks. They give you something. They give you anything so that you will be thinking something else so that your waiting doesn't have to feel like waiting because waiting feels wasteful and it feels empty. It feels like there's nothing happening while you're waiting. And that's where our anxiety comes from when we wait upon the Lord. We assume that when he's not doing what we can see, he must not be doing anything at all. But the Lord does not wait like we God's waiting is never an aimless, voidless filling of time. It's never divided. It's never distracted. God's waiting is never passive. God waits actively. He waits purposefully. The Lord's waiting is an intentional expression of His patience toward people who don't believe it. God's waiting gives time for His grace to take root. God's waiting allows time for godly sorrow to work repentance. God's waiting allows time for affliction to produce humility. God's waiting allows time for sanctification to produce fruit that sometimes grows so, so slowly that we struggle to believe that anything's changed since the Lord has begun to tend us. And it all means that the Lord doesn't wait for his people like he's waiting for a root canal. When we're crying to him, and he's not answering as quickly as we wish he would be. It's not because he's catching up on back issues of good housekeeping. The Lord waits like he's working in the kitchen. He's baking this perfect loaf, but it takes time. His grace and his work has to ferment in us. Paul says that we are God's handiwork. We are his workmanship. That means the Lord will take all the time that he needs to shape and proof our circumstances to make sure that our faith is fully formed. The Lord waits to be gracious to you, he says. He exalts himself to show mercy to you, he says. His waiting is waiting with eagerness. His waiting is waiting with patience. It means that the Lord is always ready to show mercy to sinners. Often it means that God is doing that already before our eyes can see what he's up to. That his waiting is grace itself in our lives. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 tells us that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient toward you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. 
says the same, Romans 2. He says, the loving kindness and the patience and the forbearance of our Lord are meant to lead us to repentance. Why? Because the Lord is waiting for us. For believers, doesn't it stir your heart to know that God's eagerness and his patience did not sit idle while your sin was rising up against you? And stir your heart to know that he sent his son into a world of corruption just so that he could take our filth upon himself. To know that he crushed Jesus on our behalf and laid him in the tomb while our iniquity was our iniquity was still shaking its fist in heaven's direction. To know that he raised Jesus from the grave while our rebellion was still pursuing those works of the flesh that only conceive and give birth to death in our mortal bodies. At the right time, while we were still sinners, God's grace came looking for us. He sent his Son to bear our guilt and our shame. He sent his gospel to preach peace in our ears. He sends his Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And he's brought you here this very morning. Under the sound of the preaching of his gospel word. He's brought you Christians and non-Christians. He's brought you spiritually weak, or wandering, or lazy, or lost, or strong, or suffering, or somewhere in between. He's brought you here under the preaching of his word. He's brought you here so that you can hear his good and very great promises of life for those who put their faith in him. Can't you see how he's been pursuing you? Can't you see how he's been good to you? Can't you see how he's been eagerly waiting to show mercy to you at the first sound of the prayer of faith that erupts from your lips and from your heart. Every true Christian in the room ought to be overcome with praise by the fact that the hymn is true. I sought the Lord, and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek me. I'm sorry, he moved my soul to seek him seeking me. Not that I found, O Savior, true. No, I was found of thee. It's a picture of the Father sitting on his porch and straining his eyes and looking into the distance and waiting for his son to come home. It's the picture of Isaiah. The Lord who waits to be gracious to you. The Lord who exalts himself to show mercy to you. So the application of Isaiah chapter 30, 18 is that today, if you understand Maybe if you understand for the very first time. Maybe if you understand for the ten thousandth time. Today if you understand that the Lord is waiting to answer your cries. Today if you realize that God waits to be gracious to you. The application of this text is to hurry up. Hurry up and confess your sins to the Lord and cry out for salvation. Hurry up and cast your burdens upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Hurry up and wait upon the Lord. God says he is a God of justice. That means he is a God of all that is right and good and true. That means that he is a God who can be trusted. He's not like Lucy in the Charlie Brown comic. Hey, Chuck, let's toss the old pigskin, and he knows better. He knows she can't be trusted. No, 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 you're just going to pull it out from under me. She butters him up, she tells him wonderful things, just so that he'll get a running start, just so that she can pull the ball away and laugh at him when he falls. God is not like that. He's a God of justice. 
He's a God who can be trusted. So he proclaims blessing on those who wait upon him. The application is not to waste another minute. Hebrews tells us today, as long as it's called today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, says Hebrews, let us strive to enter God's rest. Don't waste another minute. Don't waste a single second chasing those false promises and fleeting pleasures of food and drink and sex and achievement. Don't set your eternal hopes on your philosophies and your political affiliations and your status and your pocketbook. All of those idols are buckets without bottoms, and every hope that you pour into them will only splash onto the ground and be wasted. The Lord waits to be gracious. Lord exalts himself to show mercy to you, and blessed are those who wait for him. To recall to him. To put our faith in him. To believe his promises with, with eagerness. To wait for his goodness with patience and faith. To call not to let any underlying anxiety about God's goodness. Keep us from trusting in him. Don't delay. The Lord is always ready to show mercy to sinners. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Blessed are all those who wait for him. Lord, we thank you for this word. And we thank you that we come to your table and we will find a reminder that you are the one who pursues us. Set your table before us in the presence of our flesh, which would seek to draw us away, and the world which would entice us. And yet you give goodness and loving kindness to your people. You sent your Son to be our King and Savior. Well, give us faith in you. Give us patience as we walk. Very often the road is longer than we wish it would be. Sin is more real than we imagine it could. Help us, gracious Father.